0: We're on a 10 year journey towards spiritual maturity here. And one of the things that it's necessary to do before we get into the journey proper that really begins in 92 is to break the ordinary cycle of spirituality that we're in. There's a book out uh, right now called, If It Ain't Broke, Break It. And there's something in that book. It's a book on management. There's something in that book that's very, very true. And and this is it, that even systems that work well are not always the best systems that you can have, and that goes for our walk with the Lord, as well as corporations. And so, therefore, these messages are meant um, not as imperatives. These are these are not these messages are not going to get you up and march you out to do something. These are more or less stretching exercises before the marathon. All right, You can't go out and run a marathon cold. You've got to stretch. And right now, we are in the middle of a series of stretching how we think. So that when we get into the marathon, we will not injure ourselves. All right? Let me read this to you, and I'm going to read uh, a little bit further than it says. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God, Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised, or spiritually evaluated or discerned. Now here's the key, this first part of the the 15th verse. But he who is spiritual appraises or examines all things. What is that spirit of the world? The spirit of the world in this context is the capability to only see things in one way. The capability to only see things in one way. But the Bible says the spiritual man appraises all things. I'm here to say to you today that most of us react to life stereotypically. We find our favorite viewpoint and that's how we approach all of life. And everything that comes uh, um, along, from this from this point ushers, why don't you set the chairs up and back, okay? Rather than bringing people down, that would just be a lot better and, and a lot less distracting. Um, what we do is rather than reacting um, in a fresh way, in a new way, accepting what may God may have for that unique situation, most of us get into a situation where we have a reflex reaction and we become stereotypical, either in the sense of the world or in the sense of the spiritual life or what we perceive to be the spiritual life. The reason people miss Jesus at all is because they were stereotypical spiritual people or they were stereotypical in the world. The people of the stereotype of the world couldn't understand where where in the world he came off talking about spiritual things. In, uh, in Matthew 13, he goes to his hometown. And everybody's saying, Phew, wait a minute, where does this guy get off saying these things to us? Isn't he the carpenter's son? Don't we know his brothers and are his sisters not all with us? See, they couldn't make the transition from the world to the spirit. And even the people in the spirit couldn't make the transition from the world to the spirit. John fourteen eight, I think it's Philip that says to to Jesus, you know, Jesus, I've seen your signs and your miracles and your wonders, and they're great. One more thing, we'd see, show us the Father. And Jesus looked at him and said, Have I been so long with you that you do not yet know me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. See, they they saw a human. They couldn't see that God was incarnate because they were stereotypical thinkers. Now, we come by this honestly. We're raised like this. And even when we first accommodate the spiritual aspect of our life, it remains very separate from our physical aspect. Solomon, wisest man in all the world. Had a problem like this. Even with his great wisdom, he was very depressed. Because he could not connect the newness of the spirit life with the, the with the rotate, with the, with the, the rote happenings of the world. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, I'm going to read you a few verses in just a minute. But Solomon was one depressed man. I mean, he wrote this before he got on Prozac. This was not, this was not fun. This was not a fun time for him. He looked at the world and wise people by the way very often are depressed because they perceive how things are not and how they could be rather than just how things are. And so it's not unusual to find a wise person who is depressed. But listen to him. He says in verse 3 what advantage does man have in all his work which he does under the sun? Then he continues in verse 9 that which is "...been is that which will be, and that which has been done is that which will be done. So there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one might say, see, this, it is new. Already it has existed for ages which were before us. And there is no remembrance of earlier things. And also of the later things which will occur. There will be for them no remembrance." Among those who will come later still. In other words, that last passage means we get a pattern in our life and we don't even see it as a pattern anymore. We can't even transcend the pattern to see that this is something that must be interrupted. Those of you who are Christian counselors know your main problem with people who are coming into you is to show them that this has been happening all of their life. And it will continue to happen until it is addressed. Until they get out of that situation, look down and break that pattern in their lives. They don't remember it's happened. When they see it, they finally go, my goodness, you're right. I've always been this way. And I always will be this way unless I transcend that situation and look down on it and break it. See? It is impossible for us to know of the fullness of God until we can transcend our situation and straddle both the physical and the spiritual world at one time. I remember my grandparents the day they had to give up their car. My grandfather was a very proud man in a, in a good sense of the term. Um, he was a town veterinarian and everybody called him Doc Bashore and, and he was a great man. I idolized this man. I walked around behind him. My test was sticking way out when I was with Pop. I called him Pop. Wonderful man, and my grandmother was a wonderful church-going Methodist, see, and she was a wonderful lady, and the day came when they met, as all of us do, one of their limitations in life. They knew they were getting too old to drive safely, and they decided it was time for the sake of the other people to give up their privilege of driving and I will never forget the day that they, somebody came and bought their car and took it away. And my grandmother cried all day long. I was there. She cried all day long and said, I, I never thought I would see the day when I would have to depend on other people for transportation. My grandfather didn't say a word. He just stayed, stared out his window at a dogwood tree that he had planted and a birdhouse that he had made in that tree and looked at the birds. But I knew he was thinking the same thoughts as my grandmother. They had met a limitation in their life. And they had discovered what Elijah had discovered before him. Lord, I'm no better than my fathers. I have the same limitations they do. And their reaction was one of grief. Acceptance but grief. But there didn't seem to be any spiritual insight or help for them. There didn't seem to be any balance. I remember even as a young kid thinking, Lord, where are you? They ought to be able to make this transition with your help and feel your comfort. They don't see you. They're just over here. They couldn't make that transition. There was another person who faced a limitation in life, Stuart Crooks. He was a member of one of my first churches. And and Stuart had a a, a stroke. And his wife was too old uh, to really take the care of him that was proper. He was totally incapacitated. And uh, he... Basically, had to go in a nursing home and was very, very frustrated about that. Still had his mind, just his body didn't work. And uh, very frustrated. And she was frustrated. And the church was frustrated. We were frustrated because we couldn't care for him every day. Um, so I remember going and visiting him. And, and I would step my foot across that threshold. And Stuart was so angry, he'd just start cussing. I mean, anybody went in his room, he'd just cussed. And he cussed. And he cussed. Now, cussing doesn't bother me. I was raised around cussing. It still doesn't bother me. It's normal language to me. But he, and I'd step my foot and he'd cuss, he'd start cussing the nurses, and then he'd cuss the doctors, and then he'd cuss the volunteers, and then he'd cuss me, and then he'd cuss the church, and then he'd cuss his friends, and then he'd cuss his family. He cussed everybody. And so he'd wind down, he'd get tired, and I said, well, Stuart, you feel better now? And he'd say, don't try that psychology... Blankety blank stuff on me, and he'd start cussing again. And then he'd cuss us all over again. See? And then he finally was so physical, physically exhausted he couldn't cuss anymore, and, and i you know, I'd been in there 20 minutes, half hour. Just listen to him cuss. And at the end of it I'd say, well, Stuart, you want to say a prayer? And he'd say, well, of course I do. He'd say, I'm not an atheist, I'm just mad. But see, for Stuart, the transition was one where, okay, he was in the world, he was frustrated, he reacted stereotypically how people react when they get frustrated in the world. But then he was ready to make a transition over here. There was no connection. There was no connection, see. He was either in the world mindset or he was in the spiritual mindset. Now, when when we prayed, he bowed his head, very reverent, very reverent. He was in that role then. But there wasn't the help and the mixture between them. Now, this not only happens for people of the world, It happens for super Christians. You ever met a super Christian? It happens for people who react stereotypically as Christians. I mean, you—if you've been in the—if you've been—they speak Christianese. They've got—they've got their own language, you know. And they just string Bible verses together, you know. And you you feel like maybe they're not really in touch with what's going on, but but you don't say anything because they just got. When everything frustrates them, they hop immediately over here. And you try to, to say things that that quote normal worldly people would say, and they, that's to the world, you know, I don't want to hear that. Um, there are some Christians that are what I call the flat Earth society. They, my wife is is teaching at a Christian school right now. Science. This is the most interesting dynamic because some of these kids have been taught to be afraid of science. Uh, because science is going to come in and take away their faith, see, and and when they talk about things like astronomy, the, the members of the flat Earth society rise up in class, and 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 because because there is no joining of the camps, see. Now, of course, God never said that. The same God who made the world made the Bible, see. Doesn't speak with forked tongue. If if there's if there's a if there seems to be a discrepancy there, it will be cleared up. Because truth is truth. But you know what? It's interesting that that Christians many times love Christianity or their brand of Christianity better than truth. Samuel Taylor Coleridge once said, He who loves Christianity better than truth will progress by loving his own denomination better than Christianity. And then he will love his own church better than the denomination. And then, ultimately, he will love his own opinion better than anything else. And that's exactly what a stereotype is. We narrow ourselves into our own opinion for our own security's sake. But that is not how God made us to be. There is more than one focus point in this world. There is more than one dimension to life. The spiritual man appraises all things, the Bible says. All things. We can see more than one point to life. Now, we come by this very honestly in our culture. Because in the Western culture, we are, we are Greek-oriented. And Greeks are very, um, very good at categorizing things. And so we categorize things. And we approach things as an either-or situation. You know? I, I teach a class at Reformed uh, Theological Seminary on, on leadership. And I said to them this week, the two most important words when you go into the church, these are third-year seminary students, when you, go, when you go into the church, your two most important words, non-theological words to remember, are both and. And your two most dangerous words are either or. If you operate out of the either or category, you're going to have one long conflict in the church. If you can though see the lord in both sides in all sides and you can pick out his truth in anything you're going to be okay. Well we live in a society that's kind of either or because of the way we've been taught. And I liken it to the difference between uh, between Greeks and Jews. You know, Greeks gave us many good things but Jews gave us relationships, you know? You look at the Old Testament and it was one big relationship. Every had a, every, you couldn't, there wasn't an individual sense. There was a community sense. And everything connected together. There's another sense in which it's a man-woman thing. You know, man, the, the, the part that connects the hemispheres of our brains is, is smaller than the part that connects the hemispheres of the woman's brain. And you can tell by the way we react. See, we categorize things. Men do one thing at a time and shut everything else out. Did you ever notice that? Did you ever notice how men can have a knock-down, drag-out fight with a wife, and a minute later they're reading a the newspaper. And the wife is saying, how can you do this? We, are, we were just horribly involved in a horrible fight. And he said, well, that was then and this is now. See? He sees no connection, because there is no connection. That was a fight, this is the newspaper. You know? He has categorized. He has focused. See? A woman, if a man's driving down the street, I've told you this before, and says, boy, now there's a pretty lady over there, she'll immediately think, I wonder what he's saying about me. Well, he didn't say anything about her. He was saying something about the woman, but she relates it to some message having to do with herself. Because there's a connectedness in the brain, see? And that works very well. Well, listen to this. Our culture tries to get us to focus on one thing at a time. But reality is fuller than that. Fuller than that. There is the the Western German Hegelian strain that says, okay, we can focus on the progress of man by saying this is the thesis, and then comes the antithesis, and then comes the synthesis, which turns into the thesis, and and it's it's a singular progressive strain of history. However, in Scripture... There's much more of the, the William James uh, philosophy of psychology that says that, that reality is much more like a uh, concatenated universe, a linked universe. It, he uses the term, I love this term, collateral contemporaneity. It means there's a lot going on at one time. And the more you realize all that has influence on you, the more effective you're going to be in the operation of where you are. Let me tell you a football story. Football story will clear this up. I'll clear this right up for you. <laughs> Whenever you get this, start telling football stories. When I was a junior in high school, we did not have a good football team. Um, we were We were not doing well at the beginning of the season. And there was one kid on our team that was huge and big and strong and had come from a whole line of good football players. I mean, his he had two brothers that were star football players at this high school. Now, you can imagine the pressure that put on that kid to be good. I mean, he was carrying the family name. This kid was not especially fit for rocket science either. So, therefore, he needed to be good at football. This was one of the most intense people And one of the most focused people I'd ever seen in my life. So intense and so focused on one thing, see, that he sabotaged it unknowingly. He was too anxious and he messed it up. Whenever there was a a tense moment, he would jump the count. Whenever there was a tense moment, he would forget to play, see. And so he was becoming more and more frustrated. Now, when he became frustrated... He displaced his anger on all of us, and therefore, nobody really wanted to go into the locker room until after this guy was done and out. Now, up we were coming against against a big game. I mean, these were our rivals. And if we could beat these guys, the season would be a success, even if we lost every other game. I mean, the tension was so thick, but none of us wanted wanted to even practice for that game, because here was a guy who was living and dying. By the way, there would be college scouts at this game. And he knew it. And he started off that week in practice just exactly like we knew he would. He was jumping every count, getting madder and madder at himself, and busting us for it. And we did not want to be around. Well, Thursday, I think it was. Here comes this guy coming into the locker room, whistling, whistling. We didn't even know he knew how. (laughs) And nobody said anything like, what's your deal? Because we were, afraid, we were afraid to interrupt it. We didn't want to interrupt it and for him to revert back. So nobody said anything. Well, he went out. He had a great practice. Great practice. Came in whistling. The next night was the football game. And all of us were afraid, not of the other team, but of this guy. He came into the locker room, whistling again. We went out and got stomped. I mean, we got killed. Now, everybody has a different way of dealing with nervousness, don't they? I mean, some people kind of jiggle around like this, you know. Some people yawn, and some people, you know, are silent and prayerful and so on and so forth. Well, all of us were, were dealing with our own nervousness after the game, waiting for this guy to come in. This guy comes in, goes over to the quarterback, puts his arm around the quarterback. Now, the quarterback is having a coronary on the spot. (laughs) And he says to him, that's okay, Wes, we'll get him next week. All of us were in awe and wonder. And nobody moved until he just went in, he took a shower, he got cleaned up, and he walked out. Well, we couldn't stand it any longer. We had to find out what was going on, so all of us tried to sneak out to see where he was going. Now, have you ever heard a herd of steel football cleats on concrete floor? Click, 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 click. click, 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 click. We all go out and look out the door and saw the answer. There was this cute little cheerleader named Connie Cheney, And as this guy went down, she just slipped her arm through his. And they went off to get off. <laughs> Now, I tell you that for this reason. I tell you that because focus sometimes can get us into much trouble. We feel like we need to focus harder when really what we need is balance. We need another perspective. We need not a stereotype living, but a stereo. Type living. We need to have more than one voice in our lives. And we don't even realize we're doing it. When Hillary sang her song, I bet we had two reactions in this sanctuary. I bet that there were some... Now, you don't need to admit this. But I bet there were some people in this that gave the stereotypical Christian response. What's she doing singing that song? That's not a Christian song. I don't hear Jesus or the Holy Spirit in there. What's she doing? Say, that's a secular song. What are we doing having a secular song here? Then there were some people who were saying, listen to those pipes. I don't care what she sings. Listen to those pipes. See? Just reveling in carnality over here. You know? Ah! I love this! We chose that song though because it was typical of what we would love to see happen. There were some of you, I imagine, that began to say, you know, I've heard that song before but I never connected it with God. I never connected it with, with if you're with me, I'll be alright. With God. I never connected with Please don't let this feeling end. It's everything I am, everything I hope to be. I never connected that, maybe with a devotional time with Jesus Christ. Some of you know that devotions can be, can I say this? Romantic. That our nearness to God, there are some devotional times for some of you when you can almost reach out and touch Him. And you don't want it to end. You don't want it to end. And it is everything you are. And everything you hope to be. You see, if you can listen to both sides at once, if you can enjoy the, the giftedness, but also hear the voice of God that says, yeah, I found you. By the way, this was the Reformed view of the song. The, 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 the Armenian view says... Uh, when I found you, and, and she's saying when you found me. So that's a Reformed view. Never mind, it's a theological thing. <laughs> it's a the- theological thing. But anyhow, the point is that you to really operate fully, you have to be able to hear the two views combining. You know what? God made the world, and he said, it's good. It's good. Jesus came in the flesh. He was incarnate. He was the perfect stereo man. Because there was both the Son of Man and the Son of God in one person. And we are to be conformed to His image. Now, what am I talking about? Let me give you two examples and then I'll pray us out of here, okay? Just two examples. And and once you catch on to the system, and I don't expect all of you to catch on to it immediately. Some of you are already operating in it, but but some of you will, as we go along, you'll start to see by your own experience what I think. All right, I'm sorry, what 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 uh what I'm trying to say. Um by the way, here's 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 kind of a catchword. Here's how you can kind of get into the system. Anytime you run up to a life situation that makes an impression on your mind. Instead of just reacting, I want you to say these words. Lord, you're in this, aren't you? Now, where are you? What are you saying to me? Okay? That's how to activate the stereo. Instead of the mono, that's how to activate the stereo. You don't try to escape the situation. You just say, Lord, you're in this, aren't you? What are you saying here? Alright? Now, here's two examples. This week, a, a, a gal came in to me. And she, she sat down, and she was so discouraged. She said, I just don't feel like I fit. By the way, these are some of Satan's favorite words. They're all three phrases. You don't fit. You are weird. You are different. Um, and then he elongates. Everyone else is fine. You know, you don't match them. And that's exactly where this gal was. This gal was unique. She didn't have a happy little family with kids, you know. She wasn't married. She didn't have a relationship. She didn't have... I mean, she she was different. Satan sometimes tells the truth, but he tells it in the tone that's a lie. And we pick it up from his tone, see. And this is what he's saying. You're different. You don't fit. Now, the first statement was true, but the second statement was false. You know why? because the basis on which she judged whether she fit or not was how much like everyone else she was. She believed that her basis for fitting in was her status in life and how much like everyone else it was. That's not what the Bible says. The whole time she was talking, First Corinthians 12 just kept coming to me, which says that God has made us different, purposefully, and that our fit comes not how much we're like other people, but how much we can contribute to them that they don't already have. The unique ways that we can give to their lives that they don't have. That's how we fit together. The parts of the body, remember that? The body fits together because the parts are different. And I said to her, you are different. And that's exactly why you fit. You can contribute things to people's lives in here that nobody else can contribute to. And boy, she brightened up. I had a lady come up, by the way, last after the last service, and she said, I have been looking for a job for a long time. She was an older lady. And she said, I've gotten refused job after job after job, and I knew it was because I was old. Finally, somebody called me up and said, we want you. And we love your resume, and we want you. And she said, I asked them why. And they said, well, we hope, this won't embarrass you, but we needed an older person for this job, see? She fit because she was different, see? Now, that's important. It's important not to deny the difference, but it's also important to see how God uses that. There is a There was a group of people... This is my second illustration. There was a group of people... We're doing all right. There was a group of people who came in here yesterday, not a group, two people, who came in here yesterday... Um, let me get, let me give you a setting for this. This this 2.7 acres of land uh, that we need to complete our master plan for what we believe God wants to do here in the future. They lost their lease. They wanted to sell, so they contacted us. Now, you know if you know what's going on in the church right now, there could not be a worse time. We're trying to scrape every nickel together to build this youth thing. We haven't got any money, you know. But the elders talked about it and they said, well, you know. <laughs> God's done weirder things, you know. And maybe this is the time, maybe it isn't, but let's just chase it down and see what we're talking about here. So they met with this with this a couple of guys the other day that are trying to sell this land, you know. Now, these guys are under real pressure to sell because, you know, they they've haven't got a tenant anymore on it, you know. So they're under some pressure, so they're coming in. And you can tell that these guys are here to do business. I mean, do business. And all of the conversation. You know, we're just saying, guys, we've got to be up front with you here. We just we don't know what God wants us to do, and we're just testing the waters and just seeing what's up, you know. Now their first impression, these are a couple of good old boys who have been through about a hundred business deals, you know, last year. And they're trying they're trying to size out what approach to what approach to business this really is. You know. You can hear the suspicion, you know. Harry, count your fingers before you get out of here. These guys got an angle. You know? We didn't have anything. We just kept saying we, We're just trying to figure out what God wants. You know? We know that that is the land that we need, but we don't know whether it's His time, and if it is, that's fine. If it is not, it's, it's, that's okay. We're just trying to figure out, so you just tell us what you're looking for. If it's fair, we'll just take it to the body and just see what God does. The more we talk, the more frustrated they get. Trying to nail down something they can fight. We're not fighting. See? And we keep saying, and they keep saying, well, as, much as you're, fast as you're growing, you need that land. And so, well, God knows what we need. You know, we're not worried about it. Well, I'll tell you what, you could just do this easy. And we kept saying, well, we're not. We're very conservative financially. You know, we just don't talk a lot about money and, and we just don't put any pressure on people. And so if it's there, we, we use it. If it's not, we don't. And so that's just how it is. Oh, man, they're frustrated by this time. Oh, they just read it. So anyhow, the meeting ends and they get up and they walk out, you know, and the guy who's taking them out says, come here, I want to show you something. Well, first of all, they walk out and there's got to be 150 people around here on work day having a ball together. I mean, the kids are helping, uh, people are goofing off, everybody's doing something. I mean, it is idyllic. It is absolutely, I, I love just, I just walked around for a few minutes yesterday Just watch people work together and donate their time to the Lord. What a neat... You talk about a picture of the kingdom of God. That was it. I mean, everybody was making a contribution. Everybody was having a ball together. It was just great. The kids were working as hard as anybody. I mean, it was wonderful. So they walk out and they're seeing this. And then Robbie, on the way out to the car, says, come here, I want to show you something. He takes them into the back of the sanctuary. He shows them the two offering boxes back there. They aren't any bigger than a kid's lunch pail. He said... Here's our offering. We don't pass the plate. Here's our offering box. You've got to find this thing to even give here. But if you find this thing, everything that the Lord provides for us is just dropped right there. Well, their faces will get all screwed up. And he says, they say, well, I bet there's a big push on membership here. bet there's a lot of pressure to join. Robbie says, nah, I've been coming here about four years. I just never got around to going to the class. I'm not a member yet. And Robbie's the chief negotiator, you know. So they're going... You know. Robbie said, Robbie said, from the time they left that room to the time they got in their car, their attitudes changed 180 degrees. Now, what am I talking about here? Am I talking about a sweet business deal for the church? Nah. I mean, I don't know what's going to come out of that. But I'm saying that God, while he's certainly concerned about the business and how we're going to progress and how we're going to provide for the people that he's sending here God sent two guys yesterday yesterday, that are driving around thinking what is it there they came in contact with the kingdom of God and by the time they got off the property they were hooked they're wondering about this see and that is every bit as important to God as all of us put together those two guys see they're wondering That's stereo thinking. That is understanding the different dimensions and not becoming so focused on one that you can't appreciate all. The spiritual man appraises all things. Stand and let me pray for us. Lord God, most of us Love to have what we already believe reaffirmed and to be honest many times that's why we come to church so that we can get stronger in what we already believe but you have set before us a course that will stretch us and will open us up to the other things that you are doing in the world it is work to think in stereo terms but Lord give us the spiritual discernment that we may appraise all things help us Lord God to be so stretched that we can see what you are doing in many areas at once so that we can cooperate with you everywhere instead of just in our own interest focus we love you God you've got a lot of work to do but we give ourselves to you to do it. Go with us now and multiply the understanding of this message as we live our lives. We pray in Jesus' name.